Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter, reminding you to go to acons.substack.com. There you'll find links to this podcast. Please subscribe, bookmark it, come back often. And also you will find our social media profiles and our commentary. I'm really excited today because our guest is Alan West. Alan West is a 22-year combat veteran. He's a former congressman representing his district in Florida. He also moved to Texas about 10 years ago. He became the chair of the Republican Party of Texas and is the author of three books, as well as host of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast and a current candidate for the chairmanship of the Dallas County GOP. And on the day that we record this, it happens to be his birthday. Happy birthday and welcome to the show. So uh, thanks so very much, Marie, for having me on and appreciate the birthday wishes. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about a number of things, as we often do with you, because you have such a breadth of experience. But a few days ago, we saw yet another drone attack from the Iran-backed uh, terrorist group, this time killing three U.S. service members, all African Americans from Georgia, like yourself, and injuring uh, over 40 other Americans. In response, uh, President Biden has ordered strikes on targets in Iraq, Syria, uh, and supposedly uh, affiliated with Iran proxies. Is this enough to deter Iranian terrorism, in your opinion? No, I don't think it is. And first and foremost, we should never have allowed it to get to the point where we've seen over 160 different strikes against our military servicemen and women in that region. Uh, it should have been very clear from the onset that we were going to go after any of the proxies of Iran and also their capability and capacities as well. So I think it's a, a little bit too late. And furthermore, what the Biden administration did was really take about seven to 10 days for a response. So you gave the, uh, the enemy plenty of time to reposition, to uh, shift locations and things of this nature. I think that when you have an attack like what we saw that tragically killed three of those soldiers, and as you said, wounded another 40 some odd, your response has to be very quick. That's where you go into the crisis action mode. You get everyone in the National Security uh, Council together, and you give your commander's guidance and saying that I want a strike package within the next six or seven hours, which is something that the Middle East uh, desk there in the Pentagon should have ready to go. Uh, and these will be some very current targets and you strike them immediately. That's how you send a response. And I think that, you know, you hear a lot of people, you know, Lindsey Graham talking about we have to go inside Iran and all these type of things. I don't think that's the case. But I think that we have to look at the capability and capacity that Iran has to be able to, uh, you know, ship weapons 
to these uh, different groups. We need to look at where those weapons are positioned. We need to look at the places where all these rocket and missile attacks are emanating from and not just go after empty warehouses and things of this nature to say that we did something, but you didn't really do anything of great, uh, great monumental uh, result. Uh, you know, the Trump administration killed Soleimani. The Trump administration took care of al-Baghdadi. That's the type of message you have to send when you start to cut the head off the respective snakes. And Ronald Reagan sent a very clear message back when the Iranians, uh, one of their surface mines, struck a U.S. naval uh, warship. Uh, they sunk several Iranian uh, warships in the, uh, in the Persian Gulf uh, region and also took out some of their oil platforms. And another thing that we have to do, not just from a military response uh, side, but we have to do something from an energy response and the economic response side, and that's to restore our energy independence. And we've got to go back and toughen up on the sanctions against Iran for their oil exportation, which is uh, something that we have you know, reduced. And therefore, Iran is flush with cash because they're selling their oil, their oil out there for massive amounts of revenue. So let's revisit this then. What should be the line in the sand for the United States to strike not just Iranian proxies, but Iran itself? Well, I think any time that you are firing upon Americans and, you know, there is a, a, a threat and harm and danger and loss of life to Americans, you have to have an immediate response. And, and I think that we're getting to the point where, you know, the president should be going to the Congress to ask for that authorization because that's how this has been escalated. Now, there are people that are saying, you know, you're a war hawk and all this. No. But what I think that you have to go back and remember Ronald Reagan's uh, mantra, peace through strength. And this is not just what Iran sees, it's what Russia sees and China sees and North Korea sees and the Islamic jihadists, what they see and the transnational narco-criminal terrorists, the cartels, what they see. Look, we have had the cartels that have fired across the international boundary between Mexico and the United States of America across the Rio Grande River into Texas. That's a, a, a violation of international law. And there should be some type of consequences and ramifications for that. So we have got to start, you know, standing up and, and saying that, you know, we have a right to defend ourselves. But one thing about this administration, you look at how they're trying to undermine a country like Israel and its right to defend itself against a vicious and vile attack, which killed Americans. And you still have Americans that are held hostage. So this is a very confused uh, administration. Uh, they tend to want to be tougher on their domestic political enemies than the real enemies of the United States of America. Very true. Speaking of Iran, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Biden White House secretly warned Iran that United States intelligence indicated that ISIS was preparing to strike before their January 3rd terrorist attack in Iran. If we can ask you to speculate, why would our White House warn one of our worst enemies, mm -hmm. an enemy that is actively killing Americans, that they were going to be attacked? Well, this goes back to the Obama administration, which is really, this is the third term of the Obama administration. They had a very warm policy toward Iran. I mean, let's not forget during the Obama administration, the uh, pallets of cash that were flown in on an unmarked airplane in the middle of the night to Iran, the Iranian nuclear agreement, which the Biden administration tried to reinitiate and restart. So, and, and then of course the $6 billion that the Biden administration freed up to Iran. So there is an affinity that this administration uh, coming from the uh, Obama administration has toward Iran. 
and, and again, you know, if if ISIS wants to strike Iraq, I don't I don't care. Let let them strike it. And of course, this was all about the funeral remembrance of uh, General Soleimani, who was a terrorist in and of himself. He was the head of a designated terrorist organization, the Quds Force, which, you know, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard can also be considered a terrorist organization since they're the arm, military arm, of the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism, that is Iran. So why would we waste our intelligence assets to provide, you know, early warning to Iran? Iran's not going to do that for us. Just the same as during the Obama administration, they were shipping and, and using our intel platforms and also uh, outsourcing our military to Islamic jihadists in Libya. And we know how that ended up when we saw the Benghazi attack there at our embassy and four Americans were killed. So, again, the foreign policy of this administration is upside down. You touched a moment ago on uh, Israel. And a prevailing narrative from the left is that if the United States was not supporting Israel, especially in its actions in Gaza, then Americans would not be threatened by Iranian proxies like the one that killed the three American servicemen. And if we abandon that support, Americans would be safer. Are the Mm -hmm. benefits of supporting Israel worth the consequences? Well, I would tell to the dummies who said that the useful idiots uh, go back to October 23rd of 1983 when Hezbollah, supported by Iran, attacked and killed uh, over 234 Marines, soldiers, and sailors in the Beirut barracks bomb. It had nothing to do with Iran. It was just the fact that we were there and we were trying to, you know, keep a peace in, in Lebanon. And what ended up happening, they attacked us and killed us. So Iran has been, you know, seeing the United States of America as the greater Satan. They see Israel as the little Satan for quite some time. And, you know, our relationship with Israel is not going to change the intense purpose and objectives of the mullahs and the ayatollahs there in Iran who want to take uh, United States of America down. And therefore also that they're going to fund and enable Islamic terrorist organizations and groups to come across our border illegally. And that's why we need to be concerned about what's happening along our border. So no, uh, you know, if we do not, uh, you know, support Israel, nothing's going to change other than the fact that it brings Iran even closer to bringing this against us. And Israel becomes the canary in the coal mine uh, if we don't stand up and support them. And, and, you know, what's the difference? I mean, you have all these people on the left saying that we've got to do something. we got to support Ukraine uh, because Vladimir Putin is evil and, and he attacked uh, uh, Ukraine, a sovereign country. Well, guess what? Non-state, non-uniform belligerents who have no protections on the United Nations uh, Geneva Convention rules of international law, they attack a sovereign state called Israel. And I guess we're supposed to turn a blind eye to them. So uh, I, I think that, again, the hypocrisy of this administration and the progressive socialist left who wants to align themselves more so with an Islamic terrorist organization who killed Americans, who have been killing Americans, and will continue to kill Americans. And you remember Leon Klingoffer, the wheelchair-bound American of Jewish descent, who was killed by, again, Islamic terrorists on the uh, cruise ship Achille Lauro. And uh, the video is still out there where they pushed him off into uh, into the Mediterranean Sea. Had nothing to do with Israel, but he was an American, he was a Jew, and their whole point of trying to establish a nation which has never been established, uh, this thing called Palestine, which if you trace the root of that word, it has everything to do with Israel, has nothing to do with Muslim Arabs in that region. 
Recently, the Supreme Court ordered Texas to remove the barbed wire the state has implemented to counter Biden's uh, open borders policy. For years now, you've discussed our constitutional right to sovereignty. Can you give us the schoolhouse rock version? Yeah, the schoolhouse rock version is when the federal government has an enumerated duty and responsibility, as it does in Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. That, that's called the Guarantee Clause, that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union protection from invasion. Well, when they fail to do so, that enumerated duty and responsibility, it can go to the states in Article 1, Section 10, Clause number 3, where the states, if actually invaded when they are under imminent danger, can act without any admit of delay. Bottom line. So I do not know what these five Supreme Court justices, I mean, I understand the three that are the leftists, uh, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson. But Chief Justice Roberts and Amy Coney, Coney Barrett, I do not know what they were thinking when they aligned themselves with those three leftist judges, uh, because it is very clear. And what they made a decision, the precedent that they just established is that if the federal government fails to do its duty and responsibility, as articulated by the rule of law in the Constitution of the United States of America, then a state has no other recourse. A state is just supposed to suck it up and take it. Well, that's not what Texas is going to do. And those people that want to talk about the supremacy clause and that the, the federal government, you know, they, they are supreme of the states. Well, there are three very important words in Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution, which is the supremacy clause in pursuance thereof. And so, therefore, uh, what the Biden administration is doing is not in pursuance thereof of the rule of law in the Constitution. Open borders undermines our sovereignty. Open borders are against our, our constitution and the enumerated duty and responsibility of the executive branch, as I just articulated in Article 4, Section 4, the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state protection from invasion. So the Supreme Court got this completely wrong. And uh, uh, it's, it's good to see that Governor Greg Abbott has finally awakened from his slumber and realized that he has to do something on the border and not just bus illegal immigrants all across the United States of America, which to me, you're aiding and abetting human trafficking. Now, President Biden says if Congress passes the current border bill being debated in the Senate, he will be able to secure the border by <laughs> adding border patrol agents, immigration judges, asylum officers, and inspection uh, machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming into our country. In return, we will be required to allow up to 5,000 yeah. border encounters, as well as permit a minimum of 1,400 illegals to enter per day through the ports of entry. The president would then be able to do away with the cap at his pleasure. Yeah. And your friend and mine, Secretary Mayorkas, would now have unchecked authority to grant amnesty. Where are the GOP spines on this issue? And what can we, the people, do to give them the spinal adjustment needed? Well, I'll answer the, the last part of your question first. The, the people need to have their voices heard. Because what this is, I, I mean, you hear the left talk about, the Democrat Party talking about Republicans are politicizing the issue. No, we're not. Uh, it's, it's the Democrats that are responsible for this. And what the Democrats have seen, what Joe Biden has seen, is that this is the number one issue going to the 2024 election. They, they cannot, you know, whisk this away. The, the media that they have out there can no longer hide what's happening, especially when you have gangs of illegal immigrants in New York dragging an elderly woman behind a motor scooter 
because they're trying to steal her, her cell phone or gangs of illegal immigrants beating police officers. Uh, they get arrested. They get released without bail. And they hop a bus and go to Arizona on their way to California. So you cannot hide this anymore. So what the, the Democrats have tried to do is co-op Republicans and say, let's do something. It's always the Beltway two-step. We've got to do something. We've got to create border control legislation. How do we get to this point? It's very simple. In January of 2021, when Joe Biden was sworn in as president, he systematically started issuing executive orders to dismantle and undermine the sovereignty of the United States of America and create an open border uh, for now, what, eight, 10, 9 million people to come across illegally. So this is not about new legislation. It is about him reversing the things that he reversed, policies that were successful, remain in Mexico, all of these different things. And now he is trying to shift that blame to others under the guise of, well, they, they, they're not going to pass this legislation, which keeps the border open. As a matter of fact, it was uh, Democrat Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut that tweeted out that to the left, don't worry, the border will still remain open regardless of this passing. So what's the point mm -hmm. of having border control legislation if you're saying that the border is going to remain open and you just articulate it? 5,000 a day. So what happens to number 5,001? Do they get a little number ticket that they pull down and say, <laughs> I'm first for the next day? Because 5,000 a day, they're 365 days in the year. Do the math. It, it doesn't solve anything. Mm -hmm. it, it exacerbates it and it gets even worse. And who's to say that they will abide by the 5,000 a day cap? So no, uh, this has to be uh, killed. But now you see the left saying, well, well, this is Donald Trump's fault. Well, no, Donald Trump had it solved. Since October of last year, in this new fiscal year that we're in, 2024, we've had 1 million. 1 million have entered into this country illegally. Uh, that's larger than many, many, many cities in the United States of America, and even larger than some states like a, a Montana or Wyoming of illegal immigrants in this country who we have no control, no idea, don't know who they are. That's why they're calling these people ghost criminals, because they don't have any uh, any identification. Nobody knows their background or their history, but yet they're roaming our streets. That Those numbers are shocking to me. And equally as shocking is our Texas senator, John Cornyn, who said in a statement that he has questions and concerns about this bill. Shouldn't he be a more demonstrative leader against it? Yeah, absolutely right. And that's why a lot of people don't want to see him as Texas senator again. Uh, he should come out and say, again, this is dead on arrival. Uh, this is something that's not going to help my constituents back there in Texas. Because, again, you're going to continue to allow people to come into this country legally. And we all understand what asylum means. Asylum means if you are a politically persecuted, religiously persecuted, or ethnically persecuted person, uh, you get out of that country, the first country you come to, that's where you seek asylum. You don't hop, skip, and jump over six, seven, eight different countries in order to get to our board and say, oh, I'm claiming asylum. No, that, that's not what, what it's about. And most of these people are not claiming asylum. They're being coached how to claim asylum by people that are backed by the progressive socialist left. This has become a pipeline, and, and many folks will say that this is part of a globalist agenda to undermine the country. And when you listen and read you know, some of the writings of, and interviews of Michael Yan, who was one of the great war correspondents of our time, he's been tracking that trail that comes out of, the, uh, out of Panama through the, uh, through the forest down there, the Darien Gap. 
And he sees exactly what is happening. He sees that this is a willful, purposeful, and intentional invasion of the United States of America. I want to touch on this because you are running for chair of the Dallas County GOP. Mm-hmm. And people, I don't think, understand what can be done at the county level to address this issue. Because I saw a speech that you gave at a meet and greet just the other day, and you talked about how our large urban centers have gone blue Mm -hmm. and how restoring the red can make inroads in some of these issues. Can you expand on that for our audience? Yeah, sure. The strategic blueprint of the progressive left is to go into a red state and take over the major uh, population centers. And look, uh, California, your former home state, used to be a red state. Ronald Reagan was the governor there. And, and look at the major urban population centers. The same has happened in Colorado. The same has happened in Nevada. The same has happened in uh, the state of my birth, which is Georgia, the largest landmass state east of the Mississippi River with 159 counties. But there are five major urban population centers that are determined in statewide politics there. That is Atlanta, Fulton County, uh, the Columbus area, the uh, Augusta, Savannah, and, and Macon. And so now you have two avowed, you know, socialists, pretty much. So it's senators from the state of Georgia. The same thing is happening here in Texas, where you have 254 counties, but the major population centers, which are Dallas, Dallas County, Houston, Harris County, Austin, Travis County, San Antonio, Bear County, and El Paso, El Paso County, are not just controlled by Democrats, they're controlled by progressive leftists. And when you tell people that Dallas County, Dallas, Texas, you know, Dallas Cowboys, okay, but Dallas County does not have a single elected Republican in the countywide office, they they just can't believe it. Uh, when you let people know that in the last presidential election cycle, 2020, Democrats outvoted Republicans in Dallas County by 291,076 votes. Um, and in this election cycle coming up, 75% of countywide elections in Dallas County, they're unopposed. 73% of judicial elections in Dallas County are unopposed. So we're not even showing up. And the importance is that at the county level on down, that local level of governance is so important. And when you talk about election integrity, well, guess what? The, the level of governance that does all the processes and procedures for elections is the county level. Here in Dallas County, there are five people that sit on the county elections board. One is the uh, Republican Party chairman, the Democrat Party chairman, the county judge, which is the the head of the county uh, commission, uh, the county clerk, and the tax assessor. Now, one of those tax assessor is up for election in this cycle. No Republican, you know, running in that race. That's uh, we could have had two positions out of those five to be on the county elections board. So basically, you have a Republican Party here in Dallas County that's irrelevant. uh, It's invisible and it has no effect, and it has no messaging. Uh, We have less than 25% precinct chairs covering the 861 uh, voting precincts with registered voters in Dallas County. You can't win with that level of an ineffective ground game. So how can you get your message out? How can you penetrate and and make sure that people register to vote and getting people out to vote? And and furthermore, how can you go out and find candidates to run and, and train them up if they don't believe that you are going to resource them. So we have got to get into the other communities all across the county, all across these urban population centers and talk about, you know, better education opportunities, rule of law and law and order. 
and, and better care of, you know, their property and their property taxes and things of this nature and show that there's a difference in the two governing uh, parties. And uh, we got to show up at the table for these votes and, and stop having so many unopposed positions. So that's why some people came to me last November and asked me to consider doing this. If I was like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have any part of it. But then, you know, you think about if people are coming to you and ask you to serve them, the heart of a warrior, the heart of a servant says, okay, I'll step up to the plate and I'll do my best. I want to ask you about the 25 Republican governors who signed a joint statement in support of Texas, uh, our border stance. What impact can those 25 Republican governors have? They can form a solid block and they, they can form, you know, a more perfect union. Uh, they can make sure that they stand up for the rule of law and they can challenge this administration and all of its unconstitutional actions because every single state is affected by this thing. Every single state has seen someone die in their state from fentanyl. Every single state is suffering from human and sex trafficking and now terrorist trafficking because that is the other thing that is happening here in the United States of America. And so if they don't come together and stand with Texas and, you know, help us out as far as the, uh, the, the reinforcement of this border and making a stand here. But we got to turn these people around. It's not just one thing to, to put out concertina wire and, uh, and things of this nature. We have to go after the cartels. We've got to start undermining them. We have to cut the flow of money to them because uh, that's their lifeblood. We also need to make sure that these non-governmental organizations, NGOs that are operating here in Texas that are, you know, basically becoming the travel agencies for illegal immigrants, we revoke their license to operate here in the state of Texas. They're a 501c3 not-for-profit. Not they have to request permission uh, from respective states to operate in those states. We, we should revoke that. We need to take away the ability, in, you know, in Texas and these other 25 states, saying that we're not going to provide taxpayer-funded benefits to people that are here illegally. So you've got to start drying up the, the, the incentives for people to come here, and then you have to go on offense and start to undermine. We've got to start looking for the people that are the uh, perpetrators, the users of sex trafficking and the sex slavery uh, industry. And, and here we are in Texas. The top two cities in the United States of America for sex trafficking are Houston and Dallas. You know, when I drive around here in Dallas County, I see the young Hispanic girls during the day that are out there selling flowers on, on a corner. Many of them have their babies in the front pack or the backpack, or, you know, if they're a little bit you know older, they're sitting there on the street corner with them. I dare to think about what's happening to them at night, but that's the face of it. And, and why are we allowing that to happen? So those are the type of things that we need a block of, you know, America first, uh, border security first states that will stand up against this uh, lawlessness of this uh, Biden administration. Absolutely so. Now, on your Substack, you argue that federalizing the Texas National Guard, uh, which is what most are expecting President Biden to do in defiance, is a very bad hill upon which Joe Biden has chosen to die. Some legal scholars argue that because the United States Constitution's supremacy clause, uh, because of the United States Constitution's supremacy clause, uh, the state cannot overrule a legitimate federal law function, law enforcement function. Why do you argue differently? Well, you just said it, a legitimate federal government law enforcement action to 
have an open border is not a legitimate action. Uh, to say that we're going to federalize troops uh, from a state to to go and, and support the federal government to what? To allow single military-aged males to come into this country that we have no idea where they're from? You got to be kidding me. There's nothing legitimate about that. And so it is a bad hill for him to, to, to stand upon. You know, when you go back and you think about President Eisenhower, when he federalized the Arkansas National Guard. Why did he federalize the Arkansas National Guard? Because in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled in Brown versus the Board of Education overturning the horrific Plessy versus Ferguson 1896 argument about, you know, separate but equal. Uh, and it was all about education and desegregation. Well, Governor Falbus of uh, Arkansas used his National Guard to keep the kids uh, from being able to go. It was Little Rock Knot. Eisenhower had signed an executive order uh, that said that he was going to, you know, support and enforce the desegregation and, and support and enforce that Supreme Court uh, ruling. And truthfully, that's in concert with, that's in pursuance thereof of the Constitution uh, and all rights being, you know, equal to, to everyone. So that was a rightful and a just federalization of the National Guard. What Joe Biden wants to do and I don't think he's going to do it. That's why I think that he has come back and said this, this, his advisor said, this is not a good thing to do because it'd be very embarrassing when members of the Texas National Guard say, we're not going to show up for you. We're going to continue to show up for our state. Um, but you cannot federalize troops to undermine the oath that they took to the Constitution of the United States of America. Because last time I checked, I didn't not seen in anywhere in the Constitution we're supposed to have an open border. And again, I go back to Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, which says that the federal government is supposed to protect every state in the union from invasion. So how are you going to federalize troops and tell them to violate the Constitution and allow an invasion? That's illegitimate. You know, you put out recently on your Substack the cost of illegal immigration video. You pointed out that we've lost more Americans to fentanyl than mm-hmm. we lost in Korea and Vietnam combined. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that and why you've categorized these deaths as an act of chemical warfare. Because fentanyl is a chemical and it's being used to kill Americans. Fentanyl comes from China, our number one geopolitical foe. And then they send it to the transnational narco-criminal terrorists, the cartels who refine it, manufacture it, and then they get it across the border. So this is an act of war. You're, you're killing Americans. And, and I don't understand how anyone, and this is on top of the biological uh, warfare that goes back to, uh, to COVID, which originated in China as well. So I do not understand why we aren't taking a firmer stance against this and putting things in context. You know, when you talk about the hundreds of thousands that have been lost, lives lost to fentanyl, you got to put it in context of an actual war. And like I said, in Korea and Vietnam, we have lost less there in a declared war, a shooting war, than what we have here in our own country uh, with the fentanyl. When you talk about 1.5 to 2 million, however many gotaways, you know, the people that we don't know who they are, where they are, and I guarantee you these are mostly single military-aged males. Well, that number is greater than the active duty strength of our Army and Marine Corps combined, our two preeminent land combat forces. So we've got to understand, again, that coming back to this border control legislation, that border control legislation does not fix any of that. What the border control legislation basically does, it says that we're going to give the the president the cover to continue with exactly what he's doing 
And oh, by the way, most of the funding goes to the board of Ukraine instead of the board of the United States of America. And then further, we're going to hamstring any subsequent president uh, in their ability to, cha to change this. So we're locking in illegal immigration in perpetuity. That's what that border control legislation does. And in, es in essence, it means more Americans die from fentanyl. It means more uh, terrorists that are coming across this border. Like I said, you know, they're dumping their ID and what have you. If they're in one to 5,000, boop, you come in. If you're 5,001, you just, just wait. You come in the next day. So this is absurd. And you touched on the military age males that we're seeing coming across the border from China. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that phenomenon. Well, again, I do not think that you have tens of thousands of single military age men leaving China seeking asylum. Uh, and they're hopping and jumping across, like I said, six or seven, eight different countries. And oh, by the way, Think about how much money you have to have to be able to do that. Xi Jinping is not allowing single military age males with briefcases full of cash to just hop on an airplane and leave China and somehow find themselves in the United States of America. Not, not by happenstance. This is all purposeful. This is all intentional. And I don't know what China has on Joe Biden, but with without a doubt, Joe Biden is enabling China to be able to undermine this country. And, and my fear is that sometime in the near future, in this 2024, before the November election, there's a high propensity of a terrorist attack in the United States of America. And that's not conspiracy theory West talking. This is the exact same thing you've heard from the FBI director, Christopher Wray, speaking at the uh, in a hearing at the United States Senate. One of the oddest D.C. stories to occur since we last spoke was Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin undergoing mm -hmm. surgery and being hospitalized for days without President Biden of the White House realizing that he was missing. Yeah. Was this an act of disrespect by uh, Secretary Austin toward his boss, who occasionally seems to forget his name? It's just bizarre world. And and understand when I was a major in the United States Army, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It's always going to be Fort Bragg. I don't care what the left changed the name to. But I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and Lloyd Austin was a full colonel. He was the uh, 3rd Brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division Commander, the 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment. So now imagine this. Here's Colonel Lloyd Austin, the commander of a brigade of paratroopers, maybe 3,500 3, uh, troops. And all of a sudden, he goes missing for four or five days. The, the commanding general of the 82nd Airborne Division uh, does not know where he is. And furthermore, on top of that, the deputy commander of that uh, brigade, uh, the 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, they're out of country on vacation. Let me tell you what you call that in the military, AWOL away without uh -huh. leave. And when finally the two-star general that commands the 82nd Airborne Division finds out that he has a full colonel that just, he never knew where he was, no, no phone calls, no nothing, you're going to be relieved of command. So General Austin knew exactly what he was doing uh, and his people under him, if they withheld that information, they knew exactly what they were doing. But yeah, no one's held responsible. No one's held accountable. And, and that's just the lack of craziness that we have in this administration where they don't talk to each other and they leave gaps in the National Security uh, Council, which is 
part of what the Secretary of Defense is on. And the Secretary of Defense, he only you know responds to, reports to one person. That's the commander in chief. So there's a breakdown there, and there are no words to explain it other than Secretary Austin should resign on top of what happened in Afghanistan. So this is uh, two huge strikes against him. Now, you recently tweeted your opposition to open primaries. Please expand on that for our audience. It was very simple. I mean, open primaries, uh, you know, you got the Super Bowl coming up. And let's say Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, they have the ball and they're in their huddle. And Patrick Mahomes is about to, you know, lean down and call to play. He's checking out his little, you know, play calling card on his uh, on his forearm. But before he calls the play, he looks over to the San Francisco defensive captain, probably a linebacker, and says, hey, man, why don't you come over here and, and listen to the play we're calling? That's what an open primary is. It is absolutely absurd. And why do we should have big concerns about it? Because what we just saw happen in New Hampshire, where a person running for the Republican <laughs> presidential nomination got 70 to 75% of her votes from non-Republicans. And when they were polled, 45% of those people that voted for Nikki Haley in these New Hampshire primaries said they wouldn't vote for her in the general election. So you are allowing people to come into your huddle and call your play and then go back to their defensive you know, position and say, this is their play. Uh, you're not going to pick up any yardage. You're not going to have any success uh, uh, that way. And that's what's happening. And so furthermore, here in Texas, we have open primaries. And it has already been reported that the Nikki Haley campaign has sent out a memo saying that they're going to court Democrats to come in and vote in the Republican primary. So you need to have closed primaries. And some people will say, hey, look, you know, Colonel, you're talking about disenfranchising people that are independents, whatever. Well, look, if you made the decision yourself that you don't want to be part of either the Republican Party or Democrat Party, you self-disenfranchised. And so it's kind of like, you know, I, I'll use a metaphor that I think people here in Texas and maybe across the country can understand. If you have always been going to, you know, a certain friend's barbecue, but then all of a sudden you decide I'm disinviting myself from the barbecue. I don't want to go to the barbecue anymore. Well, guess what? You do not get to decide what's on the menu at the barbecue and, and because you made the decision that you're going to disinvite yourself. So if you have said I'm an independent, I'm not a Republican or I'm not a Democrat, well, then you just got to sit back and wait until the uh, the general election, uh, because Republicans should pick their team. Democrats should pick their team. And you as an independent, uh, you either if you have an independent candidate, a designated independent candidate, or you can look and see who's the best person between these two parties that represents my principles and my values. But if we continue to have open primaries, the Democrats here in Texas are already saying vote in the Republican primary because they want to muddy up the waters. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. It, it is his birthday today. So I am going to put on the screen the fundraiser, if you wish to uh, participate, for his candidacy for the chair of the Dallas County GOP. Also, where can our listeners find you online, support, and follow your work? Well, you can go to the website, uh, West number four dallas.com that's for the chairmanship race for the uh, dallas county republican party but you can find me on all the social media platforms except for tiktok because 
Chinese Communist Party controls that. We're out there on Facebook. You already talked about a Substack page. And of course, we have the podcast, Steadfast and Loyal. And also, you can follow what I do as the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union, DACRU.org. And I will be down in Marco Island, uh, Southwest Florida, the 2nd and the 3rd of March for a couple of events. One of them, Worship on the Rock, and then the other one, uh, ACRU-sponsored conversation with the Colonel. So please go to theacru.org, and you can find out more information about our events down in Southwest Florida and Marco Island coming up. As always, it is wonderful to chat with you, and happy birthday. Thank you for sharing part of it with us. Thank you, Maria. You know, as you can see up here, I got a lot of snow on top. I just hit 63, folks, but I had a great... uh, you know, run this morning, so I feel fine. So thank you so much, Murray. Take care. God bless. And now it's that part of the show where we bring in DK. DK, come on in. Hey, Hi. how are you? I'm okay. I didn't get to sing happy birthday, though. Oh, I, yeah. that, I'm so sorry that yeah. I didn't bring you in to sing. I yeah. know that that would have been the highlight of everyone's day. I know. To hear you sing. Now he has to wait another year. He, he made a couple of very interesting points, though. So, yeah. He talked about some big issues, though, on his birthday. And one of the issues he talked about was um, uh, Biden's penchant for Iran, which is something that really fascinates me. Because, like he pointed out, this is, in a sense, Obama's third administration. Obama is very Iran friendly. He gave pallets of cash, like I was pointing out, to Iran unnecessarily. First thing Biden did when he was president, when he came president, was to start easing access to money for Iran that uh, greatly increased their wealth. You know, he, he lowered a lot of the restrictions he put on their oils. It really enriched Iran and and the money he used, the money Iran got from Biden's uh, deregulation, essentially, has been going to funding terrorism. And that's not a news to anyone. Even Biden administration officials acknowledged that beforehand, that a lot of the cash Iran would have in their pocket will be going to funding um, terrorism, which is extraordinary. If you know that an enemy state it's going to be using money to kill Americans. Why would you allow that state to have access to that money? And it goes even worse because in that uh, border bill, he they talked about it gave billions of dollars toward Gaza. Uh, Gaza is not a state. It's, uh, it's practically a terrorist territory. Um, they proved that on October 7th when they went into Israel, killed as many. Israelis as they could, and it killed a great number of Americans also. So I don't know what um, Gaza did to deserve billions of dollars in U.S. cash. So, and what makes it worse, in my opinion, is a story I read some time ago that still hasn't gotten the amount of attention I think it deserves, is that when Biden was a senator, he... He used to steal classified documents out of the National Archives. Uh, They discovered this later on. 
he probably stuffed him in his pants or inside his shirt or however one gets away with stealing national documents because that's supposed to be a secure room. And some of those documents we found out later had to do with Great Britain. Some of those documents had to do with Ukraine, where his son made billions of dollars, millions of dollars, um, working working on a board of Ukrainian oil company that he had no qualifications for. And the third country that Biden stole uh, classified documents for was Iran. And I've yet to hear why uh, Senator Biden will be stealing documents that have uh, sensitive sensitive information information regarding Iran. And it sticks in the back of my head because here we are years later with the Senator Biden is now President Biden and he still seems to be bending over backwards to appease Iran. You mentioned the Wall Street Journal story that we warned uh, Iran that ISIS was going to attack them. Why? <laughs> Why are we helping Iran to that degree and they still are trying to kill us? You know, that's a question for the ages. That's that's insanity. That to me seems treasonous. I, uh, what do I know? I don't know anything about the Constitution or you know the rules of war. But that doesn't seem right. It's definitely very suspicious. You know, between uh, Senator Biden stealing classified documents regarding Iran, the the very pro, uh, very friendly Iranian policy we have. We warning Iran about being attacked. Uh, we helping our, uh, an Iranian satellite state, which is what Gaza is. It's um, something's adding up until it sounds like um, uh, Biden is in somebody's back pocket. To be honest, and I hate to say it that way, but what other conclusion can you draw from all that? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it's just scary, right? Yeah. I mean, all the things that you find out that your government is doing. I mean, I guess I don't know, it's kind of like the sausage factory, right? I mean, you you know that there are probably things that go on that you don't know about. But then when you know some things, you wonder all the things that you really don't know. You know? I don't know, maybe that doesn't make sense, but that's just yeah. Yeah, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. There's so many questions, and we can't rely on our media to answer these questions. Or our government. I mean, you can't rely on the government. You can't rely on the media. I mean, who can you rely upon? And no wonder we've gotten so factionalized. I mean, I don't remember us being this partisan and this uh, hyper-political with these factions the way that we are now when I was growing up. And I grew up in a deeply political family. They were Democrat, but I mean, it was deeply political. But I don't ever remember the level of vitriol ever hitting like this. And I think it's because of just this very reason is that people can't trust the people. I mean, we've got a spokesperson at the White House and I can't, I don't think I've listened to one full press briefing since President Biden has been in office uh, because I personally don't believe what's coming out of the mouth. 
Your sauce spin is uh, well crafted. Uh, it is. It's spin. Points. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it. I I couldn't tell you what Walter Cronkite's personal political persuasion was. I don't know. Because guess what? He would just say, hey, there was an accident at Fifth and Main. It wasn't, there was an accident at Fifth and Main and Donald Trump is responsible. He's going to be indicted tomorrow, you know? And then people would swat his house. I don't know. You know, he just said, hey, there was an accident. You get to decide the facts. You know, he would present them and that was that. But now we've got all this virtue signaling and all of this uh, opinion news. You know, it used to be news, but now it's couched in 60 minutes of opinions and people telling you what they think about those facts and how you should feel about those facts. And if you don't do something about those facts, well, then you're not black or you're not this or you're not that or you're this um, or you're a threat to democracy or you're a basket of deplorables or you're whatever. You know, it's opinion. It's commentary. It's not fact. And we're letting that masquerade as the news. And we give it ratings and we feed it and we pat it and we make it grow. Well, you're not exaggerating. I mean, even uh, even when I listen to news radio, you know, like 10, 10 wins, plus be all, all the news in 20 minutes, they give their stories and uh, the left-wing bias you hear is just extraordinary. It's, it's thick. It just drips, you know. Uh, they say something about Trump, uh, and then they they quickly add that uh, there's no evidence supporting Trump's claim. But, you know, this, you know, they definitely want to put a very pro Biden spin on the news, um, which goes to another point I wanted to make was that uh, thanks to this uh, this border bill, it's just another example of this becoming. Um, a one-party government, you know, they did a study. Uh, you might have might have seen this on social media recently. They indicated that of the 30 million or so illegals now in this country, when they when they're able to vote, roughly 90% of them are going to vote Democrat. That would be enough to swing Texas to the Democrats. Uh, probably a lot of those other. The neighboring states like Arizona to the Democrats, it would be enough to keep Republicans from winning national off for a very long time. There's going to be more blacks at a hockey game than Republicans in Congress, you know, once, <laughs> once, uh, <laughs> once, uh, once, once, uh, that bill, if that bill passes. So it's extraordinary that so many Republicans wanted to pass. Um, Imagine that 30 million illegals and 90% of them going to vote Democrat. Shocker. And, yeah. And then they allow a thousand more a day, per day, plus a minimum of 1,400 coming through the ports of entry, a minimum. That could be another 5,000. Who knows? Um, the Democrats are going to continue flooding the country with the illegals till they, until they're able to win. Every house seat, every Senate seat, every uh, state house, and of course the presidency. And it's not, and it's not just through that they're changing the election laws yeah. to, um, you know, these uh, 
ballot harvesting and drop yeah, boxes, yeah. And, you know, where you can like grab a bunch of empty ballots and fill them out the way you want to, then dump them in a tote bag into a, uh, um, um, this little, these little mailbox looking things that are by the public library, just dump them in. Yeah. Um, um, they want to add, um, territories like Guam and Puerto Rico and DC yeah. in that state because they think that it gives them uh, two more senators per. So right. they get all three, that's six senators. They want to do away with the filibuster. So even if they just get 51 votes that they can pass anything that they want, uh, they want to pack the Supreme Court. Pack the Supreme Court mm -hmm. with a bunch of young AOC types mm -hmm. who will be uh, very loud voice for the left for maybe another 60 years. Yep. And all these things are, have been attempted. None of them failed by a lot. Uh, they all seem like things that will pass eventually. You know, the interesting thing about it, though, is all those things that you're saying are kind of scary scenarios. But the beauty in it, if there is one thing that I could pick, the beauty in that is that Black folks are waking up because we used to be the ones that people courted. We used to be the ones that got all the free stuff to get us to vote, you know, and, and keep them in power. And we're starting to see now that we have been used and lied to and that, you know, we're not the, the special ones anymore. And uh, the shine is beginning to wear off of some of that for some folks. And so if there is any silver lining in any of this, that would be it. Yeah, believe it or not, the, the black voter can be the salvation of our democracy. You know, once we, if, if we can break away from the Democratic Party in, in sufficient numbers, we might be able to counter some of these things that they're doing to monopolize uh, political power in this country. And Which we did in 2020. Somewhat, yeah. Yeah, we Almost. did. And when you've got somebody like 50 Cent the, <laughs> that that's now coming out and saying that Donald Trump's not such a bad guy, you know, I mean, there are, I, I think, I mean, we saw Ice Cube question some things, Kanye, I mean, we've, uh, yay. We've seen a lot of people who've kind of, yeah, who've kind of had, you know, an epiphany of sorts. So I, I'm hopeful you can't help but notice a trend among celebrities. And like you said, Kanye, Snoop Dogg, 50 Cent, Killer Mike, Big Baby, these known rappers that, okay, half of them, I don't know who they are. <laughs> See, now that right there shows that you are 11 months younger than I am. <laughs> if nothing else shows that we're close in age, that right there. <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure who they all are. I've seen in articles, you know, I don't don't ask me to uh, rap to rap any Killer Mike songs. I, I never heard him rap anything, but I'm, I'm just saying this is very telling that these people are either refusing to endorse Biden or they're out endorsing Trump. So. And well, and that the policies are solid, because here's the thing. You know, these folks make some money. They've got some bank and they want to protect that bank. 
So you have to, when they say follow the money, literally follow the money. Why are they espousing these policies? Who is helping protect their investments? Oh, is it Republican policies? Yeah, that's what it is. We are fiscal conservatives. So talk to me about that. You know, that's kind of crazy that we would begin to see that. So, yeah, we're not crazy. <laughs> you know, we're not stupid. We know. It, it, my husband told me years ago um, when I was still, uh, I think, still voting uh, Democrat, or at least still thought of myself as a Democrat. My husband said, oh, yeah, my parents voted for Reagan. And I looked at him like he sprouted a third eye. I'm like, what? You know, I couldn't believe it. And he said that his dad always sat him down and said, look, we've got a little bit of money and this is what we do. We want to keep what we have. It's about generational wealth. It's about keeping what you've worked hard for and conservative policies, conservative fiscal policies are sound. Yeah, but it's not just that, especially among celebrities. This has to do with Joe Biden as a beginning with, beginning when he was a senator proposed uh, what's considered to be the harshest, yep. most draconian yep. anti-drug laws uh, ever in this country, which the argument goes disproportionately hurt Black Americans. Um, and we're predators, super predators, whatever yeah, it was that he said. Predators. Yeah. As you said, the criminal justice issues, the fact that President Trump uh, did so much for H. H BCUs, um, the enterprise zones, uh, so many other things uh, that people are beginning to see. The entrepreneurship, um, you know, showing young black males that, you know, uh, so long we've idolized rappers and musicians and uh, athletes, um, but you can own your own business. You can do all of these other things. And so, yeah, there, there are pathways uh, and so it, it's awesome to be able to see minds and hearts change. Senator Biden proposed the most draconian anti-drug laws uh, in the nation's history. Uh, disproportionately hurt blacks. He he had uh, many people, especially African Americans, in prison for a small amount of crack possession. And yet his son is like Scarface with all the cocaine he has around him. Never sent a man into jail. Conversely, or we have President Trump who signed the First Step Act, which reformed a lot of those laws that, um, that had so many black men behind prison. He, he also pardoned a lot of famous uh, African-Americans, uh, a lot of them who were in jail in jail for these uh, drug laws. So between him pardoning uh, a number of African Americans and signing the First Step Act, that really impressed a lot of black celebrities. So um, I think because of that, um, a lot of them are swayed by Trump more so than they would have been otherwise. And there you have it, this episode of African-American Conservatives, The Soul, The Conservative Movement. Please follow us at acons.substack.com and you will find uh, links to all of our social media platforms as well as this podcast. We'll see you next time. Signing off from Studio C. Adios. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. And also, you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.